Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellen Becker Investment Group, three-time recipient to the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for Business Ethics and Integrity. The Ellen Becker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sense Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Jean Range, Senior Wealth Advisor at Ellen Becker Investment Group. Ellen Becker Investment Group is located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive in the Town Bank Building. And we're also located in the Village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank Building right across the street from Winkies. We're now able to service clients in Bonita Springs, Florida. Go ahead and visit our website at ellenbecker.com for more details as well as our uh, educational events that we have coming up. So I want to welcome everybody to the show today. Um, I'm going to open up uh, our conversation and talk about um, some news that I've been reading about. Uh, In fact, if you open up a financial periodical or listen to the recent news, you're starting to hear that college costs are going up. And with that, we're finding college debt is going up. And I always like to say, what's a parent to do? We all want the best opportunities for our children as they take their life journey from a newborn baby to adulthood. And a big part of that journey is education. And we know education really starts in elementary school to high school and then post-secondary school. Post-secondary school means everything from certificate programs to a doctorate program to a vocational program. Um, and, 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 you know, as I reflect on even uh, my clients where they are welcoming a new child or a grandchild into a family, oftentimes parents will gaze down at their newborn and see that child's future, future through their eyes. And I'm sure most parents that are listening today can relate to that statement. We want the best for our children. If that vision of your child's future includes college, you may even be thinking, all right, I've got a plan for that. And if you're a parent, you know 18 years to plan for college sounds like a long way off. But then again, you know firsthand that that 18-year period is going to fly by in a flash. So that said, we really need to plan for these educational needs and start early. You know, and so far, my comments today have really referred to the parents' responsibility. And today we are going to talk about that, what part parents should contribute to this. And we're also going to talk about um, the child's role or responsibility in their college expenses uh, and what that looks like. So with that, I want to um, welcome our guest. We are lucky to have Rich Palomini. Um, He is the chair of the College Savings Foundation, as well as um, he is the director of education savings programs at Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. So with that, Richard, welcome to the show. Gene, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You know, I thought we'd start with some of the basics and um, talk about what is this thing called a 529 plan and um, how much can I contribute and all that good stuff. So do you want to share with our listeners some of the basics of this show? Sure. So in its simplest terms, a 529 plan is really a tax-deferred savings account. Uh, 
very similar in nature to a Roth IRA, but the difference here, instead of saving for retirement, you're saving for a child's future education. Now, there's many benefits to 529 plans. So there is the tax deferral. Uh, your money is growing completely tax deferred while in the account. And as long as it's used for education, it comes out completely tax free. So that's an enormous um, tax benefit. And that's both on the federal and the state uh, state tax standpoint. In addition, 529s, uh, nice things about them, you keep control, the parent, the adult who opens it, keeps control of the assets for the life of the account, unlike many people are familiar with UGMA, Uniform Gift to Minors, or transfer accounts, um, which is an irrevocable gift to the child. So when you put the money in at age of majority, that child can take that money out and use it for any purpose. Here, the adult, the parent, the grandparent, whoever establishes the account keeps control of those assets. The other nice thing is the flexibility in being able to change uh, the beneficiary as needed. So maybe the, uh, the first child or the intended child um, gets a scholarship or doesn't need the money for some reason or just doesn't use all the money. Well, you can simply uh, change the beneficiary or transfer some of those assets to another a sibling or a first cousin or other family member. So a lot of flexibility. In terms of contribution limits, um, there's a couple different limits that you need to look at. First of all, when you put money in, it is considered a completed gift. And under federal gifting rules, you can gift as an individual, you can gift $15,000 a year as an individual, or a married couple could do $30,000 without going against the Lifetime Unified Credit. There is also a special rule for 529 plans um, where you can do five years' worth of gifts into a 529, um, all in one year without incurring a gift tax or going against your lifetime exemption. So essentially, that'll let you do five times the 15000 so 75000 as an individual. Or for a married couple, um, that would be five times the 30000 for a total of 150000 per beneficiary all in one year. That's a great strategy that many uh, grandparents will use when they're looking to get money out of their taxable estate and they want to gift it to their, their grandchildren. Um, it's a great way to do that. So, and those are irrevocable gifts. So there's no way of saying, you know what, my child's not going to go to college or a vocational school where we could utilize these funds. It is irrevocable. Well, it's not irrevocable in a 529. In a UGMA custodial account, it is. Again, one of the nice things about a 529 is you do keep control of those assets. So, again, uh, if the intended beneficiary that you initially named doesn't need those assets or all of them, you can change the beneficiary, and that's a, a non-taxable transfer um, to the new beneficiary, as long as the new beneficiary is a family member of the current beneficiary. Now, if for some reason uh, you had nobody else you wanted to transfer to and you didn't need the money for higher education or education, then uh, you and you wanted to pull that money out, that would be a non-qualified withdrawal. And if you did that, the earnings portion, not your principal, but the earnings portion would be subject generally to ordinary income tax as well as a 10% uh, federal additional tax. That additional penalty tax is waived in a couple of scenarios. One is if you're fortunate enough that your child gets a scholarship or, or attends a U.S. military academy, 
you can pull out the value of that scholarship or the attendance at the military academy. Or if unfortunately the child were to become disabled or uh, unfortunately die, um, you could pull those assets out without the 10% penalty. That's good to know because sometimes when I'm working with um, clients with new children or little babies, they're not ready to commit that not knowing the educational needs of this child. So it's good to know that. There are two types of 529 plans, prepaid or the savings plan. Can you share with our listeners a little bit on what the differences are? Sure. That's a great question. A lot of people don't realize that. So um, I'll start with the prepaids, which are the lesser known. Uh, A prepaid 529 is basically sort of like an annuity contract. And in essence, what those programs do is they say, listen, um, you know, the the average cost of a year of tuition is, let's call it $10,000 for an in-state public school. What those programs basically say is, you know, you pay us a set price today, and it may be 10000 plus some incremental value, but you pay us that value today, and then when your child is ready to go to school in 10, 15, 18 years down the road, we will cover uh, the cost of one year of tuition at an in-state public school, whatever that, that cost is or that value is. Now, the prepaid plans, a uh, couple things to note is those plans are only offered in a very few number of states. I believe it's 10 states or less offer a prepaid plan. Um, They are a great hedge for inflation, and especially if you know your child's going to go into an in-state school, because because they're making you a guarantee, they have to base that guarantee on something. And typically, not always, but typically is based on the cost of the average tuition at an in-state school. Sometimes it's a public school, sometimes private, sometimes they average it. Each program is a little different. Um, If your child doesn't go to an in-state school, often those programs will give you a reduced benefit, um, not the full benefit. So that's one thing to consider. But again, they are are, um, only available in a limited number of states. So most clients don't have the opportunity um, to invest in those programs. The 529 savings plan, which is what most people think about when they – talk about a 529 plan and really where, you know, the vast majority of the assets are, are just what we talked about earlier. It is a tax-deferred savings account, so you put your money in, uh, you hope that you're getting growth over the years, and whatever the value of that account is at the end of, you know, when you're ready to use it, is what it is. Typically, you're not getting a guaranteed, um, but there are you know, within those programs, there's a vast array of investment options, and many of these programs do offer various um, guaranteed-type investments, either a guaranteed investment contract that will pay you a fixed rate over a certain period of time, or even an FDIC-insured bank deposit type of, uh, you know, investment account. Yep. In fact, I know a couple of our clients that have the 529 plans, we've actually helped them make those investment choices within the plan. And some choices even track the child's age. So as they near their college expense years, the portfolio becomes more and more conservative. Um, So it's, again, a great way, as you mentioned, for that um, tax benefits of the 529 plan. I'm getting a little indication here. We need to take a break. When we get back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the plan and uh, get into the details 
Um, we are talking with Rich Palmini, and again, he is the chair of the College Savings Foundation, so we've got a, a great resource. Um, we'll be back shortly. Welcome back to Money Sense. I'm Jean Range, Senior Wealth Advisor at Ellen Becker Investment Group. If you've got a little time today, go ahead and look at ellenbecker.com. We've got some great educational events as well as some fun events for our clients as well as community members. Um, we are blessed to have Richard Palmini on the show with us today, and he has a huge uh, breadth of information on 529 plans. He is the chair of the College Savings Foundation, as well as the director of education savings programs at Bank of America Merrill Lynch. And, you know, we often get questions on 529s and um, what are they, what costs are eligible, and I thought we'd spend a little bit of um, time during this segment kind of getting into the nitty-gritty and talking about you know, what exactly is an eligible educational institution when you think of 529 plans? And I'm going to open that up because, you know, um, one of the first questions clients ask me is if they put money in a 529 plan, can they use it for high school or elementary private school or must it be used for post high school uh, education? Rich, give us a little insight on that. Sure, Gene. That's, a, that's another great question, and there have been some recent changes as part of the uh, tax legislation over the past couple of years. So when 529s were first created in the late uh, 1990s, um, they were specifically earmarked for college or post-secondary, so college, graduate school, um, vocational, technical schools. Um, more recently, as part of the uh, tax law changes, uh, now up to $10,000 a year can also be used for tuition and fees at primary and secondary um, uh, public, private, and religious schools. So that opens up a new opportunity for people uh, to save for those. In terms of what the 529 uh, assets can be used for and the schools, so when we talk about colleges, um, basically the college or the university simply has to be eligible to receive federal financial aid. Uh, so most any real school is going to be eligible for uh, financial to receive federal financial aid. Matter of fact, you know, while we think of uh, 529s in schools um, in the U.S., there are actually several hundred schools throughout the in foreign countries that are considered eligible institutions. So pretty flexible on, on which schools you can use the assets for. In terms of the the types of eligible expenses, it's pretty much everything that you would think about and probably a few things you might not. So to give you some examples, when we're talking about for post-secondary college and above, you can obviously use the money for tuition and, and required fees. You can use it for room and board expenses. And the room and board expenses are limited to some extent. So if your child is living on a campus-run facility, Whatever that school charges you is what you can take out as a tax-free withdrawal for the purposes of the room and board expenses. If your child is living at home or off campus, then you are limited to um, the posted room and board rate in order to determine what you can take out as a tax-free withdrawal for that purpose. 
every school will have a post-it room and board rate for financial aid purposes. So if the school says it's $5,000 per semester, uh, you can take out up to $5,000 and use it to cover the rent, utilities, food, and other you know related expenses. And then you can also use the money for things like um, required books and expenses, which we know is you know can be pretty substantial. Uh, if the students in a lab class, you can use the assets to pay for the lab equipment and so forth. And you can also use it for things like uh, more recently, again, some of the tax changes. Uh, you can buy a laptop computer. You can pay for Internet access and related uh, hardware and software. So very flexible in what you can use those assets for, um, for college or post-secondary and above. Um, again, if you're talking about private uh, K through 12 um, elementary and secondary school, you are more limited uh, to just the tuition expenses and up to $10,000 per year. Boy, they have really expanded the eligible expenses over the years. They have. So let's talk about um, the differences, and I'm going to throw another word out here, the differences between a 529 plan versus a Coverdell Education Savings Account. Sure. Education, uh, Coverdell Education Savings Accounts have a lot of the same um, sort of, uh, you know, tax features, right? Your money is growing tax-deferred while in the account. You can use it for pretty much the same uh, types of expenses for the most part as the 529 plan. Um, There's probably, I'll say, two or three big differences um, between the Coverdell and the 529 plan. Um, And first of all, it has to do with who is eligible to contribute and the amount that you can contribute. So in a Coverdale, uh, first of all, you have to be under certain income levels to be able to contribute. So for an individual, um, that starts at $95,000. If you make uh, less than $95,000, you can fully contribute. Once you're at $110,000, you can no longer contribute to an education savings account. Um, if you're a married couple, that phase out is between 190 and 220,000. But probably the bigger issue is the amount that you can contribute. The maximum amount that can be contributed to a Coverdale is $2,000 per year per beneficiary. Now, it's not difficult to do the math at $2,000 a year, even if you, you know, have 18 years to save, um, you know, you're probably going to cover Uh, a little more than a year's worth of tuition, fees, room and board, and books and supplies. So the biggest issue with the Coverdale is it just doesn't really let you save enough um, to cover the full cost of, you know, of college expenses. Um, The one last thing, the one nice thing about a Coverdale that gives you a little bit more flexibility is you can invest in anything you want. So you can buy stocks, bonds, mutual funds, whatever type of investment product uh, the the particular financial institution offers, where in a 529 plan, you are limited to the investment options um, in the plan, which again are typically baskets of mutual funds. Um, But there is a wide array of investment choice, as we were alluding to earlier, not only the age-based options, which you mentioned, but there's a lot of uh, strategic type asset allocated portfolios so if you want to be more aggressive, most programs have all equities or, or uh, an aggressive portfolio. They have balanced portfolios if you want to sort of be in the middle. 
um, they also have more conservative portfolios. So there is a wide array of choices, and many programs also offer what we call single fund portfolios. So you can actually customize an asset allocation working with your financial advisor um, to really be much more strategic based on your individual risk tolerance. You know, and it's interesting that you talk about the investment choices because as I work with clients who are looking at these plans, that's part of the decision. Which 529 plan do you work with? Because they all offer um, similar yet different investment choices. Right. Great question. Um, You know, virtually every state offers a 529 plan, and in many cases they offer more than one 529 plan. Um, So it can be a little bit daunting and confusing for um, the average, uh, you know, family or investor, and that's certainly where, you know, someone such as yourself, a financial advisor uh, team, can, can come in handy. But, you know, some of the basics are, You know, we always tell clients, first look at your in-state 529 program. In many cases, um, if you contribute to your in-state 529 plan, uh, the state will offer you a state income tax deduction uh, for those contributions, or at least for a portion of those contributions. And that can save you, uh, depending on your state and the plan, uh, that can save you several hundred dollars a year. So certainly that is, you know, the first thing you want to look at. Does my state offer a state income tax deduction? Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it's the best plan, but certainly it gives the in-state plan a leg up. The other things you want to look at after that, though, are what are those investment choices? Who's the investment managers in the program? What are the fees and expenses? What are their performance? Um, So the same types of things that you 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 would look at in any other type of investment. So before we take a break, is there a website or a resource that clients can go to to get a review of the 529 plans when you look at um, low expenses and uh, vast investment choices? Is there a one-stop website that would help give them some information on making this decision? Sure. Uh, there, there is a website that we often refer people to. It's called Saving forcollege.com that's saving and then for for uh, college.com it's a great uh, resource just to learn about 529s as well as look at your state plan individually and again see if there is a tax deduction see what the fees and uh, you know expenses are and what the investment options are uh, that's a great place to start well thanks for that insight I think we're going to take a little break here When we get back, we're going to talk a little bit more about 529s and how they can benefit you. With that, let's take a break. Welcome back to Money Sense. I'm Jean Range, Senior Wealth Advisor at Ellen Becker Investment Group. Ellen Becker Investment Group is located in Pewaukee, uh, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive. We've got an office in the Village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank Building, and we're now able to service clients in Bonita Springs. Um, go ahead, visit our website at ellenbecker.com. You're going to see we have some great educational events coming up as well as some fun events, and we hope to see you there. Today our conversation revolves around education plans in 529, and we are lucky enough to have Rich Palmini 
who is the Director of Education Savings Programs at Bank of America, uh, Merrill Lynch. And I thought we'd talk about um, savings and how families do that. Because, you know, Rich, back in my day, and I'm going to date myself, you worked a summer job and you saved like crazy. And then you had a huge part of your expenses fulfilled by the time you returned to school in fall. And obviously college costs are going up like crazy. And I think as parents are grappling with their own student debt, they've decided to actively save for their children's future college expenses. Um, I think you had the uh, statistic that 90% of parents who carry student debt made it very clear that they wanted to look at financing um, college for their own children. And we've talked a little bit about how parents play a huge role in financing the education and uh, children play a role. And then th- there's other resources. But um, let's look look at this kind of age-based. And if you're listening to the show and you have a newborn, what do you think would be the best way for them to save for their college expenses? Yeah, so... Um I think the key to any savings plan, right, is is first of all, you know, again, starting early and save often and create a plan. You know, often what I find with um, families thinking about college savings, right, we start throwing around these huge numbers, right? You know, the average in-state four-year school, public school, costs you, you know, all in, you know, somewhere, you know, twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars a year. And when you start talking about private schools, you know, you're up to $50,000 easy, and that's not an Ivy League school. So, you know, when the average family hears those numbers, um, it, it's so daunting that a lot of times they just sort of hope and pray, right? And right. Say, it's scary. There's no way I can save for that. I'll figure it out later. And that's obviously the worst thing that they can do. So the good news is, you know, try to get over that sticker shock, first of all, because the reality is the average uh, American family does not pay the full post-it room and board uh, rate, right? It's a lot, almost like buying a car, right? There's a there's an MSRB sticker on the car, but very few people actually pay that. Good news is it's the same with uh, college expenses, right? According to um, Sally May, they do an annual uh, study of how America pays for college. And what they found is about 28% of the actual cost of college is covered by scholarships and grants. So, Take that right off the table. And then the remainder is paid through some combination of parents and student uh, savings and, of course, borrowing. So the goal here is not necessarily for you to save 100% of the you know, expected cost because the reality is most, most families probably can't cover that. But what you really need to do, the goal here is to save as much as possible so that when it comes to borrowing, uh, you can borrow that much less, Right. And so what I tell people, instead of getting caught up in, in the number of, you know, 100%, set a realistic goal for yourself. And then based on that goal, um, either on your own or working with your financial advisor, then you can set a, a, a plan in motion. Um, so, for example, you know, you can use one of the many calculators out there to determine, you know, approximately how much it's going to cost when your child is going to go to school, whether it's for, you know, you want to cover public school or private school or what have you. Um, And then based on that number, set a realistic goal. So let's just say for argument's sake that you come out with $100,000 is what it's going to cost you and and you have, you know, 
you know, best case scenario, 18 years. Well, you may say, listen, I, I don't think realistically I can save 100000 but you know what? 50 or 60000 over that time period I think is a realistic goal. So set that as your goal, and then using a 529 plan, um, start a savings plan. And again, like most people and like most savings uh, types of goals we have, start out small. You know, whether you can save $25 a month or $100 or $200 a month, start out with whatever you are comfortable with. And then over time, as hopefully your income uh, grows or um, other uh, free um, expendable cash becomes available through either bonuses or, or other changes in lifestyle, then incrementally increase um, that contribution rate over time. Um, and of course, reevaluate on at least an annual basis to make sure you're, you're sort of uh, on target to meet that goal. So that's really what I tell people is, you know, set a realistic plan and then or, or set a realistic goal and then, you know, set a realistic plan to achieve that goal. So what if you have a high schooler and you're realizing that high school student is going to attend a four year school? And you're right. You know, when you look at a private college, oftentimes they can do some um, great math where they get that annual tuition down to a state school. But Let's talk about um, high schoolers. How would you save or what strategy would you suggest is best if you haven't done that annual consistent um, savings and now your child is a freshman and you're thinking, I've got four years to help fund this expense? What would be your words of advice there? Yeah, certainly it becomes much more difficult uh, the closer you are because you certainly don't have the benefit of, uh, you know, the time horizon and tax deferral. Um, certainly, again, you know, start saving whatever you can. Um, what we're also seeing in, in our annual survey of both parents and students, we're seeing that um, 85, uh, 85% of high school students plan to work in college to help defer some of that cost. And we found that 51% of students actually in high school have jobs um, to save for college. That's one thing you can do. Um, the other thing is to look to family and friends. Um, you know, grandparents, as I mentioned earlier, often want to uh, help in this cost if they have the means to do so. Um, so parent, uh, grandparents not only contributing to a 529, but grandparents can actually pay the tuition bill outright, and that doesn't go against the normal gift limit. So if you're fortunate enough to have uh, parents or grandparents that have the means to, uh, let's say the tuition is $20,000, they can actually write a check directly to the school for those tuition and fees of $20,000 that is not considered a uh, – it does not go against the $15,000 annual gift limit. So that's another great way. And then, um, Gene, there are a lot of uh, college planning tools out there on websites now, gifting websites, e-cards, online registries that people can use um, to set up sort of an online profile for their child. And then uh, during birthdays, holidays, and so forth, instead of, you know, giving the child money directly or giving them a gift, uh, you know, a toy or something that they're going to put to the side, um, it makes it very easy for family and friends to actually uh, contribute to the uh, the 529 account that's been open for the child. So really, you know, it's sort of, you know, getting family and friends involved in that process. 
And then in terms of actual college costs, another way we're seeing people save is going to a community college for the first two years and getting their core, you know, basic credits out of the way at a much reduced, uh, you know, cost and then transferring to a four-year school from there. I know here in uh, the Milwaukee, Waukesha area, they do have a whole transition plan for individuals that do go to the two-year college um, and then they're shifting or transitioning to that four-year school. So they have a whole plan set up for individuals just for that. Um, we're going to take a little break and then we're going to have some fun with our last conversation uh, or our last segment um, where I'd like to touch a little bit on um, what we're reading in the paper about free tuition and um, talking about how some career shifts have directed people towards trades or vocational schooling. Um, and we're going to look at what does careers and education look like in the years to come. With that, let's take a break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Money Sense. I'm Jean Range, Senior Wealth Advisor at Ellen Becker Investment Group. And we have Rich Palmini on the line with us today. And he's got a ton of information because he is the chair of the College Savings Foundation and director of education savings programs at Bank of America Merrill Lynch. And um, during our break, I talked to Rich and I said, you know, in this last segment, I want to touch on a few things because um, we uh, made note of the huge costs of college education. And one phrase my clients often hear is, you can take a loan out for educational expenses, you cannot for retirement. So if you're sitting there listening right now thinking, all right, I know I should be saving for uh, my child's educational needs, but I know I should also be saving for retirement. That's a conversation that you really need to have with your wealth advisor wealth advisor to see, all right, where should I be directing my resources? Um, but, you know, I wanted to ask Rich, because he is so tapped into this um, area, Talk to us about this free tuition. If you're listening to any of the political commercials or um, the politicians out there, we're starting to hear free tuition. Give us your insight. Yeah, well, um, I mean, I I don't think my insight is uh, much more than you're probably hearing on the news, but we are seeing more and more states um, offer some sort of free tuition, um, now, there's usually lots of restrictions on it, so you have to be under certain income limits, uh, which makes a lot of sense, of course. It's also generally limited to the community colleges the first two years, um, but it is a growing trend. We are seeing it in my own state uh, of New Jersey, um, you know, recently uh, started offering it and is expanding it um, as we speak, uh, the state of New York. Um, is offering it, and and several other states are offering it, and several more are considering it. So I think, you know, we are going to see a a continuing trend towards that, um, which is great, and and people should take advantage of that to the extent they can. But, you know, keep in mind, there there are income limitations usually associated with it, so a lot of people, um, you know, aren't going to qualify and then if you do, it is still usually limited to either the community colleges or in some states just the in-state uh, public schools. But, hey, that's a great option for those um, that are able to take advantage of it. The other thing we do see um, 
probably a little less frequently, but also some states do offer um, uh, other types of scholarships where if you uh, uh, achieve a certain grade point average within high school, uh, that you can also get um, free or reduced tuition at in-state schools. Florida is, is one of those states that has such a program. So, you know, you really need to look at your own state, but there are um, – there are uh, a lot of benefits out there, and they are continuing to grow. Well, and, you know, as much as we focused in on college, not every child is wired or meant to go to a traditional four-year college and beyond. In fact, if we look at some of the careers and the demand for employees, um, those careers often touch vocational or two-year programs, um, share with us a little bit on what you've seen in that area. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, for, for you know, decades now, right, we've been sort of pounding the pavement that people need to get a college education um, in order to, to make a good living and be successful. And to some extent, that may have been true in the past. And it's still certainly true as the economy changes and we move to a much more uh, – technological society. Um, But certainly with some of that change that has occurred, one of the things that we've been seeing, as you mentioned, that there is a shortage of people in the trades. Um, So, you know, um, plumbers, electricians, um, carpenters, right? All these trades, because there's been such a push over the years to put, you know, push people towards college. um, There is a shortage in those trades. And those trades, if you've looked, uh, if you've, you know, had to have a plumber or an electrician come to your house lately, um, it is not inexpensive. And actually, those trades are paying quite well. So, you know, for people that um, are good with their hands and are interested in, in doing that type of work, it is really a great way to go because you save a tremendous amount of money on not having college costs or maybe reduced college costs. Often, um, many of the trades will require you to get some sort of degree, but they'll often pay for that as part of an apprenticeship program. And again, you come out uh, often, you know, making uh, near or close to six figures. Um, So it's a great way to go for many people, and it shouldn't be overlooked. Well, I know I've read a couple articles recently about how the costs of education are um, starting to be so huge, people are choosing not to go to college. They're thinking it outweighs the benefits. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely um, it's a factor that people are considering. However, you know, based on the Department of Education statistics, it still does show that someone with a, uh, a four-year degree, on average, over their working life of 40, 45 years, um, you know, can make, uh, you know, almost a million dollars more over uh, their career. So it's certainly something to look at and consider. um, But, you know, the importance of college is is still there. So let's talk about, um, let's close this segment talking about strategies to reduce college costs. And I know we've talked a, a little bit about attending a community college um, and kind of addressing your core or your basic classes and then transferring to a four-year college. Um, what are some other strategies people could use to reduce the college costs? 
Yeah, another one that we've been seeing um, uh, prop up over the past few years in our parent and student surveys is uh, more and more students are living at home while attending college. Um, you know, that can save substantially, um, you know, the room and board costs by staying at home. So that is definitely something uh, that we are, are seeing. Um, also, uh, students are becoming much more cost conscious. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, Gene, probably when you and I, you know, were looking at colleges, uh, we didn't really think too much about the cost, right? Our parents probably worried about that more, but I, you know, uh, we didn't worry about it as as much, and we sort of looked at, well, you know, I want to go to California or Florida because the weather is nice, or I want to go to this other campus because it has, you know, it has a rock wall and it has, uh, you know, a block party every Saturday kind of thing. We're finding that uh, students really are uh, much better consumers these days, and they are actually taking an active role in making sure that the school they're going to or that they they're looking at um, you know, they're looking at the cost of those schools, and they're also looking to make sure that they're going to a, the, the right school for their career. So instead of just going to a school that's got a great reputation, but maybe it doesn't have a great reputation for their particular career path, they're saying, well, you know what, I can go to school B that's half the cost and is, you know, has a better reputation for my particular uh, career path. So I think, you know, just being better consumers is really going a long way to help uh, reduce costs. Well, and that's interesting that you say being a better consumer because when I do financial planning for clients and I look at their student debt, sometimes I feel their student debt was really a lifestyle debt versus just educational, uh, which was very different than my generation where we just took out uh, loans for books and um tuition, where now it just seems like their debt is huge. Um, do you know what the average debt is uh, out there per student today? Yeah, so um, unfortunately, um, you know, student debt has reached uh, $1.5 trillion overall as of last year. And on average, um, the average student comes out with about $37,000 in debt. That's the average. Uh, you know, averages can be deceiving. I know I have a a uh, in-law family member that is actually came out with a hundred thousand in debt, and that's not an uncommon story. Right. I mean, it's huge. When I see sixty, seventy thousand, I think, how do you even start? Um, so it's just it's a great conversation. I think we all learned a lot about the benefits of five twenty nine plans, about the benefits of saving early. Um, unfortunately, Rich, our time is up. And uh, again, I want to thank you for coming on to the show. If you, as a listener, have any questions about the 529 plan and how it can benefit you, definitely seek out to your financial advisor. As we always say, we hope that we've made a difference in your personal and financial well-being. Remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen. Be well and have a great day.